everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. I hope you're having a good day. I hope you got through the terribleness of Wednesday here in Midtown Atlanta, uh, safe and sound. As I always remind y'all, hug your loved ones, communicate with your loved ones. That was especially important last night. You know, I, I live a few blocks from there. I have a friend who has two small children in a school near there, and it was, uh, you know, it was a scary time. At the same time, I kind of trusted that the authorities in charge knew what they were doing. And it turns out they, they did a fantastic job. So thanks to all of them and all the people at Northside and everyone who, who were put in that situation and handled it with professionalism. Uh, I know we all appreciate it. It's a shame that this keeps happening in our country, but that's for smarter people than me to figure out. I've, I've shared my thoughts with that on that with y'all on a previous podcast. But y'all are here to listen to me talk about Atlanta United. And on Saturday, they play in Fort Lauderdale, the suburbs of Fort Lauderdale and Boca Raton, against Inter Miami. Uh, it should be an interesting game. Uh, you know, there's a few storylines that we're going to get into. Uh, one, can Atlanta United break its recent form, which has not been good the past three games? Two, the team's going to face Joseph Martinez for the first time since he was bought out and then signed with Miami in the offseason. And, you know, there's some other things. The team's going to be without Jorge Shakamakis. Without Franco Albara, we learned today from Gonzalo Pineda, which I tweeted out at Doug Robertson AJC or on Facebook at Orlando United News Now and, and spun that into a longer story. You're also going to see a story later today about Caleb Wiley. Uh, if he's called into the U.S. 20s for the upcoming World Cup in Argentina, he's going to be released by Atlanta United so he can go participate in that, which is fantastic news for, for Wiley. He's a promising young player for uh, Atlanta United, for Major League Soccer, and for the U.S., so that's all some pretty good news. In this podcast, you are going to hear from Caleb. You are going to hear from manager Gonzalo Pineda. And then you're going to hear the entirety of our interview with Carlos Bocanegra on Tuesday, talking about the uh, recent transfer window that closed and then a lot of questions about the franchise going forward. This was the first time in our memory that Bocanegra has done one of these kind of scrums that we typically do uh, a couple of times during the week before games. I thought he did, a, you know, thought he was very informative, did a great job. So we appreciate Carlos doing that and the club making him available. So this is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And if this is your first time listening to us, please make sure to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. This is Southern Fried Soccer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back. So instead of coffee today, I'm eating German chocolate cake from a bakery in Marietta brought to me uh, yesterday by, by a, a special friend of mine, and it is fantastic. I love German chocolate cake. 
Daniel might be in Germany right now for all I know, where I assume it's just called chocolate cake, not German chocolate cake. That's an old Chandler Bing joke from friends, which we could talk about on a podcast. If you want to send me questions about Ross and Rachel and if they were on a break or not on a break, but anyway, on to the audio. Here's Caleb Wiley talking about how the team can create more chances. As I pointed out, the offense has been not very good. The past three games, Pineda acknowledges that, and here's Wiley's take on it. Honestly, I think just being cleaner on the ball. Um, I think we have the right ideas, and we're putting them together well. I think, but just the final product um, being um, more dangerous in the final third and um, being more, yeah, more clean on the ball. Uh, with our passes, with our decision making, um, will help us, uh, you know, get score more goals and you know, the ultimate goal was just to win. I need to remind you that Wiley is just 18 years old, but he's very well spoken. He, he always gives us good answers. Um, it, it's it's a nice it's a nice thing. Uh, I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. So Felipe asked Wiley about being released for the Under 20 World Cup. He gave us the affirmative, and I was curious about how that process works about. If Wiley went to the team and said, hey, if I'm picked, I'd really like to do this, or if the team just kind of went ahead and decided, yeah, if you're picked, you're going to do this, and here's his answer. The coaches and Garth and Gonza and uh, Carlos had conversations, um, but I think they kind of just knew that, you know, it would be something that I would would like to go to. Um, and so uh, Gonzo came up to me um, and, and told me that he was going to release me, and it was great to hear that. So that's pretty cool. And, you know, as most of you know who follow the team uh, fairly regularly, Wiley received his first call-up to the U.S. men's national team uh, a couple of weeks ago. Now, again, I want to put out this is the under-20 World Cup we're talking about. This can be played in Argentina. It's It can be a springboard for some players if they go and have good performances to kind of goose their value for clubs in Europe. So it's not only important that for Wiley to play in the tournament, it can be important for the club because – I got to figure if Wiley goes down there and plays well, the club is going to get some offers. Uh, Wiley's big, he's fast, he's technically fairly good. He just you know needs more experience and and probably to play against the the best competition that he can in the world, which will involve a move to Europe, and that's part of his goals. Uh, but I was curious if already making his appearance for the U.S. as a senior player, getting called into the World Cup, getting consistently pick to start for Atlanta United if that has sped up his career goals well it's definitely I think um like I said I never thought that I would be making my senior uh men's national team debut this early um so to do that is it's amazing um but you know my career goals um is to one day be playing in Europe um and to one day one day play um in the in the world cup hopefully in 2026 so you know, we'll see what happens, but he seems to be on the right path. Now, at the beginning of every availability with Pineda, I go through injured players and ask uh, if they're going to be available just because it's the most important news, I think, uh, of the session. So Pineda had already, I'd already asked Pineda about if Yakamakis was going to be available. He said no. And I thought that Carlos had referenced maybe a minor setback for Yakamakis. I don't know if he was referring to the second hamstring strain he suffered or just kind of in general. So I followed up with Pineda on if uh, Yakimaki's had had a setback. No, not a setback. It's most uh, just, you know, he's in the rehab uh, program as it was initially. He's, he trained this morning before us. He trained on the field. Um, he's doing well. It's just, you know, it's taking time. 
So let's go through some facts and figures about Miami and Atlanta United really quick before we listen to Pineda talk about it. Atlanta is 5-2-3. Miami is 3-6-0. The game is 7.30 p.m. You can sync the radio broadcast from 92.9 through the app. You can follow my coverage on the Twitters at Doug Robertson AJC. It is, I'll probably tweet more than anyone else about anything. Miami is managed by Phil Neville at home. They're 2-2-0. Atlanta United is 1-2-2 on the road. It's only taken two points from its last four road games. It probably should have had at least six, but kind of blew it against NYCFC in Toronto. Miami has eight goals for or 10 against. Expected goals are 8.8 to 12.1. Atlanta United's goals for and against is 19 and a whopping 16. Expected goals for and against are 13.1 and 12. So you can see Atlanta is really outperforming what it should be doing on offense, but at the same time, opponents are outperforming what they should be doing against Atlanta United's defense. Miami's key players, Leo Campagna with two goals, Negri with one goal and one assist, Gene Mota with three assists, but he is out for this game. Joseph Martinez, no goals, hasn't scored in 10 matches. We asked Pineda about that today, and we're going to get to that answer in just a little bit. But right now, we're going to listen to Pineda talk about how the team can create more chances against Miami. Yes, well, um, being more creative, I would say, uh, taking more risk in attack, especially in the final third. I felt that the last game we progressed okay, the, the ball into the final third in some good dangerous areas. I felt that we arrived 10, 11 times in the premises zones, but then the decision-making after that and the passes and the number of players inside the box and the positioning of those. So those are things that we highlight in the video and we work on this week. Um, and yeah, we, we are we're trying to, to get better in that area. With all that, uh, we're the second best team in the league in scoring goals mm-hmm. uh, we've been scoring in every goal and I hope I don't jinx it but we've been uh, scoring in every game that, that, that we have played so far we are the only team doing that so that's a positive we've been starting in the front foot scoring a lot of goals in the first half scoring first than the opponent so a lot of positives on that side but still we know that the last few games we haven't been as, as, as we want to be in that part of the field um, and we want to improve on that that's a fair answer. I think he acknowledged the bad and then pointed out the positive. But I was curious then in the follow-up, we Pineda has talked about uh, the phrase I use is defensive awareness, which is players realizing that they need to be in aware of, of certain situations, of certain zones. How do you balance trying to take more risks on offense without leaving yourself too exposed defensively? And here's his answer. We, we noticed that in the last game, you know, tomorrow we'll see on film a little bit of that, especially with Miami uh, at times, especially the last game playing a little bit similar, like, you know, very good, solid, well-organized, solid block of players, um, very determined to, to defend and then very dangerous in transition, dangerous in set pieces. So in that way, similar game to Nashville. Uh, so we need to do better on that active defending. I would say the threats that 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 Miami has are different to Nashville in transition, but certainly 
they are they are very good on that. So we just need to keep a better organization. Uh, and at times I felt the awareness was it's just the decision making on how to protect from those situations uh, was that um, not the correct one. But the awareness is there, so that's a positive. We'll just try to correct tactically at times the strong side where the ball is, maybe more protection on that side, be more aggressive, finishing plays at times, and, and that helps. So yeah, we're continuously looking for improvement in that area as well. Now, again, I think that's a pretty informative answer, and we'll just have to see if they're able to do it against Miami. You know, of course, Nashville scored two goals on kind of quick counter strikes, one off a throw in, uh, one just off of uh, kind of a lack of pressure. Uh, the one that killed the game off, the third one, is that one. So because Yakamakis can't play, it seems likely that either Miguel Berry or Machop Chol are going to play. Now, in a combined uh, I think 500 minutes or so. Neither of those players have scored a goal as a striker. Chol has scored one as an attacking midfielder. Uh, in their last two starts, Chol against Nashville, Barry against Memphis in the U.S. Open Cup, neither uh, put a shot on target. I think they only had one shot between them. So I was curious to ask from ask Pineda, what is it they're doing well and what is it they need to improve? Hard workers, hard workers, both of them. They do everything for the team, defend very well, press very well. Uh, they've been improving, I would say, uh, in training sessions, in the games, in terms of involvement with the ball, slight progression there, the runs in behind, how they can stretch for us. But ultimately, what what we have to balance out is, yes, we love that mobility, that uh, working ethic at defending, but then when we are in the right areas to cross, they need to be in the right position to score goals. So that's <clears throat> that's another area where I think matchup Miguel, uh, even Tyler at times that can play in that position. Uh, right now, Eric Lopez is injured, but he's another one there. We need to know that, yes, we want to do certain things with the nine, certain movements, a stretch opponent, but in the right moment, they have to be in the right position to score goals. And of course, we couldn't have a press conference about Atlanta United facing Miami without asking Pineda about Joseph Martinez. And now that they're on the other side of it, possibly defending Joseph, although I'll be surprised if he starts on Saturday after Campania scored two goals last week against Columbus. How do they do that? Joseph is a legend here. He had a great story in Atlanta. Now his time is with Miami, and I wish him well there. I hope he, he does the same for them. Good for him. Um, and... Uh, and I will be happy if he has success in, in Miami, same as, as he did here. So that's all I can say then. Uh, in the game, it's eventually the players who are, uh, you know, enjoying kicking the ball around in that, in that field. And, and, you know, whatever happens will be Atlanta versus Miami. There you go. An interesting answer, the high ground answer, um, which, you know, is probably the smart thing to do. I, mean, I don't think he has any negative feelings or thoughts about Joseph anyway, but that was a, a well-coached answer. So now I wanted you to hear the entirety of the Carlos Bocanegra interview we were able to do on Tuesday. You could draw your own conclusions. I already wrote a couple of stories from it, which I hope you'll read on at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and AJC.com. And here you go. It's a good chance to, to speak with everybody after the, the close of the window. Um, we had a plan put in place from last October at the end of the season that we were looking to execute on. And um, we feel pretty good about what we're able to accomplish in the offseason and, and put a team on the field this year that, that's competitive. Obviously, getting Brad and Miles back in the fold uh, and if some of the guys that had some long-term injuries was, was a big boost for us. Um, and, yeah, now we're sitting in a, in a good spot. Uh, we're still early in the season, 10 games in. 
Um, we got second most goals scored uh, across the league uh, in a good spot in the standings. And so uh, while it's early, we feel good and we feel confident. Um, haven't been as maybe consistent as we'd like to be so far, but uh, we're still getting into a groove. And I think the nice thing for us is we haven't had to have uh, too many different uh, changes to our lineup. We've had to, we've been able to keep a little bit more consistency, and so uh, we'll build on that. But um, yeah, happy to answer any questions and uh, uh, that you guys have. Has uh, y'all received any genuine offers for Almada, Wiley, and any players on the roster? Yeah, so this is uh, this is something that we're, we're not going to discuss publicly on, on the individual offers or individual situations. Um, both of them are, are high-quality players, right? And, uh, Thiago, one of the top young players in the world, uh, World Cup champion with Argentina. Um, and then you look at Caleb, who has got 60 professional games under his belt, 30-something uh, with the first team, 30-something with the second team. Uh, he's got his first cap with the national team, full men's national team at 18 years old. So you can imagine the interest that, that he's generating as well. Um, but we want to win. We want to win, Doug, and that's something um, we're looking forward to uh, this year. And we, we want to be competitive and have those guys be a part of it. Has Miles, I assume, has not signed the contract extension you all offered last year? Miles has not signed the contract extension, so we've had multiple conversations with them, good open dialogue with them. There's no rush. Um, it's there for them. We've had, we've had good conversations and, and ongoing, so um, we'll see how that goes. But no, hopefully he's, he decides to stay here and, and be a part of it for the long-term future. He's a great kid. Um, I think one of the, the cool things is Miles has really become a, a face of Atlanta and the city's adopted him and, and he's really stepped into that role and uh, really vibes well with the city and, and, and our club. And so uh, love to see him for the long term here and, and continue to be a, one of the faces of our franchise. If, team, if the team remains top four in the East going into the upcoming transfer window, how much will that affect y'all's decision-making in terms of, of potentially selling any players on the roster if you get good offers? Uh, I don't think that's necessarily going to affect it that much. Um, you know, obviously we're going to take into account, and I, I don't want to say something now def definitive that, that you know, we, we change in the summer, but um, I think that the overall and from ownership, we, we would like to try and win a championship, and so putting the best team out there on the field uh, this year is the goal. Carlos, how much control do you think you'll have with a player and a prospect like Tiago come the summertime? If the offer's there that satisfies the club, the players is interested in leaving, the league views the offer as something that's positive. It's a unique situation with MLS. Like, how, how much control would you have in that same situation? Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily refer to it as control, but more a collaborative uh, process. So Tiago's been good. Um, you guys can imagine the interest that, that he gets as well, um, the spotlight that's around him, and, and you guys see his quality on the field, right? So um, it, it's not going to be anything new. We, we've dealt with this situation, fortunately, at the club beforehand, um, but ultimately uh, it'll be collaborative with the kid, uh, with the club. Uh, does it make sense for all parties? When, when does that time come? Um, so that, that's how we're addressing it. Uh, we'd, we'd love to win a championship this year, and we really want Seattle to be a part of that. So that, that's kind of where things are with this. Did y'all? I'm sorry, go ahead. If, if the sale takes place in the summer, is there a contingency plan for that type of player, that role, the team that's become very important in the way the team plays in that position? Yeah, like I said, we're, we plan for all different scenarios all the time. So whether, you know, with a player like Tiago, Caleb, Miles, you know, all these guys that, that attract interest, right, uh, around the world, um, we have to prepare for different scenarios. So similar 
similar to going into the offseason this last year in October, planning for you know some of the guys coming out. If we can't get some guys out, who can come in? Uh, that situation. So we're always we're always trying to be on the front foot with that. Um, but you know, ultimately, ownership ourselves here, we want to win, and the city we want to win for the city with our top players. If the team stays intact, the roster stays intact right now, going into that window, do y'all have enough uh, allocation money that you could go and sign someone at whatever position you want to strengthen for a championship run? Yeah, so um, I think we we can address that kind of big picture wise because I know um, in the offseason we made quite a few moves out, moves in, um, and. You know, obviously last year with some of the injuries, we had to push the boundaries a bit on, on cap. So we always knew uh, going into the offseason that we were going to have to make some changes to be able to, to do stuff. So what, what we were able to do uh, is having guys go out on loan or having guys leave the club, um, we were able to bring uh, almost everyone in that we wanted to. And then now this summer, yes, we will have the ability to strengthen uh, in the summer. And is there anything different uh, with the loan player with uh, Mosquera or Moreno? Are there any... Uh, conversations about purchasing those players by the, the clubs they're at now? So they both have options okay. uh, attached to their contracts when they're, they're out on loan, um, but we're still very early okay. uh, in, in the process right now. How would you describe uh, Arahujo's results since he joined the club? Yeah, I think he, he's, he started really, really hot. Um, I would say recently, and, and the player will probably tell you himself, he's, he's not necessarily uh, performing at his best level that, that we all know he can do. Um, so we've seen the the flashes of him. We've seen we've seen some good runs of him. But um, he's a good player, and I think you know the more he gets confident and, and the more we can we can get him going this season. Preseason he was fantastic. He was leader, fantastic in the locker room, around the training ground, works hard, scoring goals, leading the team. Um, it hasn't quite clicked for him uh, so far. Um, you know, he's had a few few games or goals and assists, and we know how dangerous he can be. So uh, we're happy with him, and I think you know you go through these spells uh, as a player, and um, you know, so we'll get his confidence back up. But he's been excellent around the club, and uh, really happy. So uh, get him get him firing all on all cylinders, and I think that's one of the things we're excited about him, Derek, you know, Tiago consistently playing, Gigi getting in the lineup consistently. Like once we get those guys going, we feel pretty good about where we are. We're still doing all right with our, our goals goals scored. Um, some games inconsistent, like like we spoke about. But once we get those guys gelling and firing on all cylinders, we're, we're, we feel pretty good about where we are. Garth has talked about moving away uh, from potentially younger DPs and moving towards older DPs like Gigi. Uh, if Tiago Amada does move uh, the club, would to sign a young DP or potentially shift towards another third DP? Yeah, so similar to the earlier question, um, we have a few place, uh, plans in place and some strategies and thoughts around that. So um, it's in MLS, sometimes it's not as easy as a young DP, young DP or TAM, TAM. Like it, for the long term, that, that can affect you, right? Short term, it can help, but long term in the roster designations, it gets really complicated. So um, I think to, maybe to your question, we would like to have a good blend. Uh, of some players that are more established, some players that are, are young, um, maybe up and coming, not as proven. So uh, trying to get that blend right. But we, we definitely don't want to go away completely from being a part of the transfer market and the, the, the ability to have resale value for our players. But uh, finding that blend and balance, I think, is going to be important. Carlos, what about just the spine of the team? I know you addressed with Ozzy last year. He got injured. Uh, Miles coming back to big addition to the team. Juan has been good. 
but it's still you know, feel and you know that that's experiences are often the, the difference maker in MLS, especially in the middle of the field. Is that something that you like to address moving forward perhaps this summer? Um, I think big big picture, it's always nice to have, uh, have experience in there. You know, um, look, I, I think you guys have seen Santi the past few games coming in as a, as a true six um, ball winner has been a boost for us, right? And then, you, like you said, you have Miles back and you have Brad back in the team. Obviously, Brad's out at the moment. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that's something you, you can look into. We, we speak about that. Um, you see some of the rosters around the league and, and how they operate. So, again, it's finding the balance. Um, we also want to be an exciting, high-flying team. And so finding that balance of guys that can run and get around the pitch plus experience and, and a little youthfulness doesn't hurt either. So um, trying to find, always trying to find the balance. Is that the eight perhaps? Is that sort of position that could make an upgrade in, in the middle of the field? Yeah, we're, we're, we're looking at, at, at a few different positions for the summer. Um, and so we'll see. I think right now we're, we're 10 games in, so we still have until July to evaluate. So we have quite a few games. I didn't mention uh, Frank Rivara, who also had a great start to the season playing in that deeper six role for us um, and really adapted well and, and, and took that on and did a good job. So, um, you know, let's let's see how the season goes. But whether it's a midfield, you know, where, wherever we choose to, to address this summer, we have time to evaluate. And I think at the moment, um, giving credit to the guys, you know, sitting in a good position in the league, um, let's, let's keep that up, hopefully. Um, but it's, it's still early in the evaluation process. And then just the attack quickly. Um, you know, G, you mentioned GG, who's been very good, obviously. Mm -hmm. But is there a bit of a reliance on him? Like, how do you look at the players behind Yakamakis? Is that also something that, how would you evaluate basically? Yeah, I think it's, it's similar to, you guys asked about Tiago, you asked about Gigi. The DPs in this league are so important, right? And so it is hard to have a similar or like-for-like -like person at each position, especially with the the categories that we have and the roster designations we have in this league. Um, yeah, Gigi, he has come in and, and done a good job. You know, can we get some more out of our, our guys that are playing that position? Yeah, yeah, we hope so, right? And so it's, it's again, it's something we need to evaluate going into the summer. Um, Gigi's played for almost 18 months straight, right? They had a kind of a strange World Cup break over in Europe, but not a true summer vacation, uh, excuse me, winter break. So um, managing that, managing um, training games, all the stuff that everybody talks about now uh, is going to be important for us. But again, let's let's see. We're, we're 10 games in, and so we've got to see how the whole puzzle fits together. We'll see. He's, he's doing all right. He has a, was a small setback, um, but I think he'll probably be questionable still for the weekend. What we don't want to do is continue to push him and have something linger all year so you know we'll make a, a decision with obviously the medical staff and all the the science that goes in into it. speaking of the oh, go ahead Jason. how would you assess how the the youth development side has gone and evolved throughout the club from the academy to the second team mm -hmm. the first time? um yeah i think if we look back to when we started uh, you know in 17 We've definitely we've definitely evolved the academy, put more resources into it. Uh, the second team has come on board, and I think that's been you know, invaluable for us. Guys like Miles, Caleb, 
Noah, Johnny, these guys, you know, Bello, they, they all got a lot of minutes uh, with the second team. And it's, it's, it's a great kind of stepping stone for the, the league. I think that's going to become more and more important in our uh, ecosystem here in America. Um, you know, I think one of the other cool parts is that Garth believes in that youth development. So that's great that we have that backing and continue to whether it's put resources or time or investment into that. Uh, that's going to be really important. But I think not only the academy system now, I think that second team level getting more competitive games, whether we play against the Mexican teams, whether we play against however we, we try and enhance that competition uh, is going to be super important because we talked about a kid, Caleb Wiley. He had 30, 36 games, I think, in the USL, which was a great level playing against men. Um, I have actually been uh, surprisingly impressed, I have to say, with the level of MLS Next. I wasn't necessarily expecting it to be at this level. I think the physicality still lacks a bit, because, um, but technically and the tactical understanding, they're good games. So maybe in three, four years, when we're able to build this league up, it's going to be really, really important uh, for the development of players in our country. Going back to the roster designations you were talking about with Felipe, if you sell a young DP, do you have to replace it with a young DP, or can you can you make an adjustment? There are a few things you can do. It, it really comes down to your cap hit, and so you don't have to bring in a, a young DP. You can. Um, you can bring in a unrestricted or a restricted DP. You can bring in a template. It, it just comes down to how much cap space you have, so you don't always have to do a, uh, a like for like. It's, it's the cap hit that okay. gets you. And if Miles were to sign a pre-contract with another club, mm -hmm. how would that affect y'all's decisions regarding him and playing and everything for the remainder of the season? No, nothing's going to change. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll give Miles as much time as he needs. Uh, he, he's been great through the whole process. Um, it, it's not going to affect us one way or another. He's a big part of the club. He's going to be here through the year with us, and so... Uh, you talked about the value of DPs and uh, how important they are in this league. Uh, PT, Marco, and now Louise have all struggled to some extent. Has your philosophy on what you believe makes an effective DP shifted at all over the last few years? No, I also, I, PT gets a tough, <laughs> I didn't mean to, tough, tough one leg. <laughs> yes, I, uh, I think the, I guess to answer your question, that the players we have, I think with the price tags as well, they come in with very, very high expectations, right? And so if they don't knock it out of the park every time, I think people might look at it as a bust. Um, can players perform maybe a little bit higher than, than they do or how do, how do they translate to the league? Yeah, sometimes. But no, I, I don't think it, we have a process that we go through, we vet it, we, you know, there's a lot of analytics that go behind it. There's a lot of, you know, before we come to the decision and, and, and pull the trigger. So um, I think that, that's one of the hard parts. You don't you don't hit on every single player. Um, and I think sometimes with the price tag, maybe the expectations get uh, pushed up. And so um, it's not going to change our, our way of thinking because we, we have the process that we go through. And, um, you know, some guys don't necessarily perform to, to the expectations maybe of, of what everybody thinks, but um, we, we're also, you know, they, we've had some pretty effective DPs, and I, um, I don't want to talk about Luis like that because I think he's been he's been really good and important for the club. He's been a little bit off the off of his level at the moment, yes, but I think he would say the same thing that he's not hitting on all cylinders right now. Is there the potential that that scouting process is potentially overvalued dribbling ability and potential three defenders one-on-one? over maybe potentially all ball ability and ability to get into good positions. 
I, I'm not sure. That will be something that for you guys to, to make the decision on that one. Um, we value a lot of different things uh, when we look at players. And, Can you tell us? Um, well, it, it, it's very different for each position, and it will also be very different for, um, for example, when a, we brought Abram in, uh, this offseason, um, he was a more cerebral defender, a little bit more. Um, we looked at someone who, who didn't necessarily win tackles all the time, but maybe defended more cerebrally, positionally. And so when you measure that through metrics or the analysis, it's a little bit different than Miles. He's a ball winner and he can step into the midfield. And so you, you try to balance those out, right? But if we're looking for a center back more of the profile of Miles, that's different than the profile of Abram or Parata that we have to pair one of those with him. So that kind of goes around the field and, and the balance, who's advancing the ball, who dribbles, the time on the ball, who's scoring goals, who's giving the assist, the pass before the assist. So um, while there's definitely analytics and everybody has a player profile for their club, it's trying to balance that and get that the partnerships around the field which is super important and funny, like Bruce Arena was, he's for me, he's one of the best at, at the partnerships around the field. And I don't think he looks at analytics too much, um, <laughs> which again, if everybody has their different style, but he does a great job with that. So trying to mix the analytics with partnerships and uh, get, again, the balance. Are you more for Carlos Garcia? Does the club and do you view Miles as a team caliber defender in this league? I think we view Miles as one of the best defenders uh, in the league. Um, you know, how we structure our roster uh, and, again, the, the limitations you have with with uh, the roster flexibility, um, it makes it challenging, right, um, to, to build the team. So um, we want to, you know, we put the best contract on the table that we could for Miles. So I'm sure you guys understand what that means. And, you know, we hope that um, he's here for the long term. And then what do you, I know that there are different players, different profiles, Caleb and George Bell. But there's going to be comparisons, right? It's similar left-footed, they're playing the same part of the field. They're sort of the progression in MLS is a little bit similar, and their ceiling looks about the same. Maybe Caleb's a little bit higher. How do you just compare those two? And how do you think George Bell's experience as a Miami United first team player and the sale affects the future of Caleb Wiley? There's obviously a natural comparison, um, no doubt about that. I think. Um, I hate to kind of pin two players against each other. Obviously, they're very both very athletic, left backs, able to get forward, get in the attack. Um, you know, I'll, I'll speak about Caleb right now and his development, and not not to compare, but um, Caleb has done well. He's been asked to play further up the field, also. So, uh, as you guys have seen, he's been able to score goals, get a few more assists, uh, and really work on that craft. So, I think um, at the moment for him, he's benefited from being able to play forward on the field. Obviously, you know, his, his stats, his age, what he's been able to accomplish so far, it's, it's really interesting to, to European clubs for, for an 18-year-old. Uh, and then you see on the, the other side, he can defend one-on-one. -on -one. Um, you know, we've been very fortunate to have a lot of good left backs come through this club so far. So um, we'll see. But at the moment, uh, Caleb's a great kid. His head's in the right place and, you know, screwed on well. And these guys are focused in Atlanta. And I think everybody's pretty excited around the club, players included, that uh, getting back to winning ways and, and having a good season. And so, uh, yeah, getting that championship is the goal for us. Got to wrap up here, Doug. Go ahead. Are y'all starting to see any benefits from your uh, partnerships with the new uh, analytics? companies that you're working with yeah that doesn't always come through right away um, again it's I think you get benefits and we, we've been using uh, analytics right can you enhance those and can you get some more uh, 
products or technology in to, to help you in the decision making. Um, sometimes you don't want to inundate yourself with all that information either. So I'm trying to find <laughs> everything I'm saying, trying to find the balance. But um, no, we definitely they, they add value. And it's, it's important. That's where the league is going. That's where sports are going. Um, so I think the fans enjoy that part as well and goes into the betting and, and all that stuff. So it's it's part of the game now. And I think if you're not getting on board with that and trying to stay on the, the front foot or get ahead of that, then you're going to be left behind. Carlos, quickly, just how do you evaluate the goalkeeper position now with um, you have three veteran goalkeepers and Brad's out? Long term, what's the vision out there? There's some good young goalkeepers here as well. But how, do you, how are you evaluating that position? Perhaps even for 2024. Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, really excited about the goalkeeper pool this year. And I think you've seen uh, when Quinton stepped in and Clement has stepped in, they've, they've done really well. And that, that's been a big boost for us. Last year, obviously, we cycled through a lot of goalies. It's crazy how, how that's kind of happened again. But um, no, I think, I think very good. So, you know, can you get some youth in there to, to start to build them up? Yeah, I think, again, we're very fortunate with the second team. Can utilize that to get guys games and start to build that. Um, but, again, we'll evaluate that again in, at the end of the year and see, hey, okay, how did we do this year? What makes sense going forward? Uh, but I'll, we're all, always going to want to have a, some sort of youth coming through to, to challenge you. All right, this is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When we return, I'm going to answer your questions about the Atlanta United team. We also had one call in at 770-810-5297. Daniel was in tears when he called to tell me that there was actually a call in. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for our podcast listeners. If you subscribe today, you can get six months, that's six months of unlimited, that means without limits, Digital access to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution for just 99 cents, not even a dollar. That's all of our sports coverage, our politics, our breaking news, which we kicked total butt at yesterday, investigations, which I'm sure are going to be forthcoming following yesterday's news, food and dining, etc. You can get all of our stories on AJC.com, access to our e-paper, and our assortment, I said it correctly that time, of newsletters. So join our community by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. So you always know what's really going on. The offer ends May 22nd, which is three days after my son's birthday. So if you want to give yourself a gift on behalf of my son, I would subscribe to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our mailbag question, again, the number is 770-810-5297, 770-810-5297, Daniel as always, is standing by. Hello, good afternoon. This is Michael from Brookhaven calling for Doug's Southern Fried Soccer podcast, and here is my comment. So, Doug, I would love to get this response from you. One, 
why are we playing Luis Araujo at all for any reason? At this point, all he is good for is sending shots into row double Z of any stadium in which we play. He does not add much value and has absolutely no right foot. See the first goal from Nashville this past weekend with that horrendous clearance, which leads to the Walker Zimmerman flick-on goal uh, in the first half. Secondly, I do not understand why we're playing Hosetu and Sosa in the midfield. I loved Sosa in 2021 when he started to win Gabby was here, but his role is a lot different in this Gonzalo Pineda setup. I really think we should go to Sadich and Franco Ibarra instead of Josetu and Sosa. That's just my opinion. I know that you have echoed some of those similar thoughts, but really, if everyone is healthy, the lineup should be whoever's the available goalkeeper at the rate we're going with these injuries. It should be Gutman, Terrassa, Miles Robinson, Lennon across the back. We should have Sadich, Ibarra, Thiago. We should have Caleb Wiley out left. I think personally we should have Derek Etienne up on the right. And then we should have Gigi if he's available up top. So love to hear your thoughts on all of that. I think these, this lineup and these thoughts that I'm sharing with you are echoed by a lot of the podcast universe of Atlanta United. So, uh, again, this is Michael from Brookhaven. Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Hey, Michael. Um, first off, are you trying to tell me that you listen to other podcasts about Atlanta United? Uh, my heart is breaking, although some of this German chocolate cake may help me keep it back together and go on with my life. Uh, addressing your questions one, two, and point number three. There wasn't really a question, but it was a point. Arahujo, he is struggling. Bocanegra kind of acknowledged that we haven't seen his best form, yet uh, he hasn't scored in seven games. He has only put one shot on target in the past seven games, which is just not good at all. I think that it might be best just to kind of give him a week and just watch the game from the bench, not as a punishment, but just kind of as a perspective type thing because it's just instead of rolling him out there and hoping that it's going to get better, it just it's it's either static or getting worse depending upon how critical you feel like being toward him. Now, why does he keep playing? Because he's immensely skilled. He's very fast. He plays great defense. It's just his decision-making, particularly as he starts to get into the opponent's defensive third or in the opponent's defensive third, is not great. It's got to improve. We haven't had a chance to talk to Arahujo in a while. We don't know what he's thinking. Huzetu said on Tuesday that if Arahujo gets that next goal, he thinks it's going to get him going. I still think he's a fantastic player. I still think he has immense potential. But right now, he's just in a in a pretty bad slump. And I, my advice would be just to sit him for a week and see what happens. Pineda rolled him out for three consecutive starts, including that Memphis game. He was the only one of the players who had started the Chicago game previously. I think that was an attempt to kind of get him going, and it just didn't work. So we'll see. You know, I, I also kind of like the idea. I've espoused this before. I espoused this last season when it was Moreno and Arahujo, flipping them, making Arahujo stay wide with his left foot instead of cutting in and kind of taking space away from Almada and the striker. 
and putting Etienne over on the right. You saw Etienne play on the right in the final minutes against Nashville. We saw Etienne working on the right by himself after Tuesday's training session just to try to, you know, make them have uh, chalk on their boots, I think is the English phrase I hear all the time, which means they're staying wide, a lot of space, making the defense spread out, and then allowing either the fullbacks or the attacking midfielder, the central midfielder, the striker, the ability to pick their spots that they want to get into and attack. Uh, I like your starting 11. The pairing of Sosa and and Huzetu, I did some math. I, I did a spreadsheet on this earlier this week and sent it out. And let me call that up for you really quick. When you have Sosa and Abara starting, the team creates an average of 9.8 chances, a 1.8 expected goals, 11.8 shots, 4.4 shots on goal. When you have Huzetu and Abara, it's 13.5 chances, 1.4 expected goals, 18 shots, 5.5 shots on goal. I'm sorry, the first one was Sadich and Abara. My bad. The second one is Huzetu and Abara. So you see, actually, in terms of average chances created, average shots on goal, average shots, the team is better with Huzetu and Abara. And then you have um, Sosa and Huzetu, and it has the lowest numbers across all of the the games. Now, to be fair, when Yakamakis has been playing with Sadich and Abara, that's the, that's the most. That's four out of five of times they've been paired together that Yakamakis has been involved, which may explain why the numbers are so high. So anyway, I like personally the Sadich Abara pairing. I still think that uh, Abara is not going to play on Saturday though because he's in concussion protocol. That he could be exposed in space, uh, but he's being very smart about not letting himself get into that space where he could be kind of run around. He's done a good job of kind of staying in that zone that it's his responsibility and breaking up play. And your, your question about the starting lineup, I mostly agree with. And so I appreciate you taking the time to send us a voicemail. The number again is 770-810-5297. George asks, why isn't Abara starting? Well, he started two games ago, which is why he didn't start against Nashville. And as I said, he's not going to start against Miami. So I'm not really sure what that question was about, but there you go. Uh, Loxy. L-O-X-I-I, says, do you feel like Jop has earned the start over Westberg? Uh, I, um, you know, Jop played really, really well against Memphis. He didn't look nearly as comfortable with the ball at his feet against Nashville, but he made some good saves. He made some great saves against Memphis. Uh, the sample size for me isn't big enough to judge Westberg's skill. He, he didn't, he got like a game and a half, I think, before he got injured. So, um, it's just going to be who has the best training session when Westberg is back. He, he was training this week. I don't think he'll start on Saturday, but then we'll see what happens the next week. Now for the questions of the week, the last being the question of the week, but we can go ahead and do the sound effect from Henry. What are the odds that we'll see each of the following depart in the summer? Almada, Robinson, Arahujo. Well, Robinson is 0% unless it's an interleague trade, uh, which I don't think any team is going to do that unless Atlanta United has just fallen off a cliff and that team is in position to win MLS Cup. Arahujo, again, to get rid of a player, if Atlanta United even wants to, you have to have a buyer. And who's buying Arahujo right now at a price 
that would allow Atlanta United to even recoup some of the transfer fee. It's just, I don't think it's possible right now. Almada, I would put it at 50%. It's just totally going to depend upon the team that comes in, the offer that is made, and Almada's interest in that offer. And even if it's accepted, it could be if Atlanta United is playing very well and wants to keep Almada, a sign, loan, and then he goes to that team in, in the January window. What are the odds that Gigi's available for Saturday? Zero. Is it bad that it feels like we're basically screwed without him? Now, keep in mind, the team won at Charlotte without Yurgos, scored three goals without Yurgos. So it's not, and, and Miami's not very good at all, especially they, they've lost another midfielder to injury. So we'll see what happens. And lastly, Henry says, how does Gonzalo Pineda still have a job? Why isn't he winning every match? It seems like that should be the minimum expectation for a coach. Completely unacceptable that the team is in third in the East, has only lost two road games against difficult teams. Hashtag everyone out. Parenthetical, that was sarcasm in parenthetical. All right, Henry. I agree with you. The team is in bad form, but overall it's in a good place. So be patient. See what Pineda does. I said we need to get 10 or 11 games as a sample size. We're about to hit that mark. And the team is in third in the East and is within striking distance of first place. All right. This is going to wrap up another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. As always, hug your loved ones. Communicate with your loved ones. Y'all take care. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.